This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Shantae Joseph. I'm a writer and broadcaster and I spend way too much time online. But now those years of scrolling are finally paying off because I'm hosting The Guardian's new pop culture podcast. In each episode, I'm going to get under the skin of the week's biggest stories. If you love pop culture and want to get into how it's shaping and impacting our lives, then you should join me every Thursday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Out now. Bye. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, They're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, the UK is in the middle of its largest ever outbreak of bird flu. 3.1 million birds have been culled so far, but much of the devastation has happened away from farms. The current strain of H5N1 avian influenza has devastated wild bird populations, killing thousands and affecting threatened species like puffins and hen harriers. And in England since the 7th of November, chickens, ducks and all other captive birds have had to be kept indoors to prevent them catching the virus. It's the equivalent of lockdown for anything with feathers. Bird flu is also partly to blame for the egg shortages you might have noticed in the supermarkets. Four supermarkets now rationing how many eggs you can buy. Others have turned to imports to meet demand. So how are both wild and captive birds coping with the current strain of avian flu? And is the UK prepared to deal with another major animal disease outbreak should one come along? From The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Phoebe Weston, you're a biodiversity writer for The Guardian. We spoke to you in July about the devastation this current strain of bird flu is having on the wild bird population here in the UK. The situation was pretty dire over the summer. How are wild birds coping with bird flu at the moment? So when we last spoke, it was mainly seabird populations that were getting badly hit because they were in their maternity colonies breeding over the summer. Since we last spoke, those seabird colonies have dispersed. So in the summer, they fly away. And so bird flu in wild bird populations 
sort of started to decline a bit. But now we're seeing it more in our overwintering water bird populations. But actually, it's incredibly widespread in wild birds. There's like reports of it in buzzards, peregrine falcons. There was a case of a rook, a tawny owl. So it's really in lots of different wild birds now. And I understand there was another issue around pheasant as well. Is that right? There's been more than a dozen positive tests in pheasants. And pheasants is a really contentious issue because these are non-native birds. Each year, around 55 million pheasants and red-legged partridges are released into our woodlands for shooting. Lots of them come from France. France has had really bad bird flu, so people were like, this is insane. The RSPB, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, said that we shouldn't be putting down these birds this year because we need to protect our native populations. In the end, game birds were released as usual. Do we have a good sense of how dangerous this particular strain of bird flu is? It is incredibly dangerous and contagious. The virus can stay in the environment for six weeks at four degrees Celsius. And you need a very tiny quantity for it to spread. So a teaspoon of faeces would be enough to kill an entire house of chickens or turkeys. And if you remember from COVID, we talked about the R number, the average number of people that one person with COVID in this case would infect. The R number for avian flu can be as many as 100. So it's an incredibly infectious disease. And in terms of the mortality rate, some people would say it's sort of close to 100% in commercial hens. And no one really knows in wild birds because, of course, we're not testing them. But it seems to be pretty high, like a small proportion would survive. Phoebe, as you were saying, summer's when viruses spread most in wild birds because that's when they're sort of coming together in these breeding colonies. Do we know yet how much wild birds will be affected by bird flu next summer? The short answer is no. And this is because there's been very little testing in wild birds and you can understand why. These are wild animals, they're hard to catch... Lots of them are breeding in sort of remote, rocky areas which are hard to reach. So we don't know whether these birds have any immunity. Now, it is already out in the wider environment, so it's looking very likely that there is going to be another wave of it. And actually, once this next season's over, we might start to have a better idea of how many birds actually have immunity. We can't vaccinate wild birds so the only way that this disease is going to stop is if it becomes naturalized within the populations. And what kind of impact so far are we aware of that this flu is having on wild bird populations? Two populations which have been particularly badly affected is the great skewer and northern gannets. Now the UK is really important for both of these birds. They have 60% of the global population of these birds. If we start with the great skewers, there are 16,000 of them and the bodies of 2,600 have been collected. So that's 8% of the world's population and those are just the bodies that were collected. So you can imagine that there's significantly more birds that died and then the northern gannets in some colonies they think that 15 to 25 percent of birds died 
And again, taking into account that we've got 60% of the world population, that is a significant impact. And can those populations withstand those kinds of losses? I mean, will those populations really get into trouble with that amount being hit? Yes. These are birds that we were already concerned about. Like some people think this could lead to an extinction event for great skewers, for example, because these populations are already under stress of humans overfishing their food source, habitat destruction, getting caught up in fishing gear, climate change, changing their habitat. So this is just another thing to add to those list of pressures. Phoebe, as you've said, um, even if there was a vaccine for bird flu, it's almost impossible to vaccinate wild birds. Is there anything more we can do to stop the spread of the bird flu? Lots of people want better testing of wild birds. We need to understand whether these birds have antibodies. We can also reduce the pressures that I was speaking about that these birds are already under. So the RSPB says that we should stop sand eel fishing this season, which is a key source of food for seabirds. We can do better habitat restoration. Fighting climate change, again, makes life easier for these birds. But in terms of actually doing anything to stop the spread of this disease, the horse has already bolted, like it's already out in the wild bird population. So there's not an awful lot we can really do. So the situation sounds pretty grim for wild birds, but what about chickens, ducks and other captive birds? Paul Wigley, you're a professor in animal microbial ecosystems at the University of Bristol. You've been working in animal health for more than 20 years. How concerned are you about this outbreak of bird flu? Reasonably concerned. I think the fact that this particular uh, strain has now been circulating for around a year does lead to the suggestion that it's become an endemic infection within the UK, within Europe and potentially North America. So in terms of the effect on both production of eggs and poultry meat, it's a real concern. On top of that, you also have the concern of it spilling into other species, particularly pigs, or indeed into humans and becoming a a zoonotic infection that way. And can you give us a sense of the impact this outbreak is having on poultry right now across the UK? Well, obviously, within England at the moment, all poultry are required to be housed indoors. It does reduce the risk of transmission from wild, particularly migratory birds, into stocks of production animals. It's another difficulty for poultry producers where they're already stretched with huge costs on feed and heat in particular. So it's a very difficult position, on top of which you're trying to deal with an extremely serious disease outbreak. This current strain of bird flu is both highly infectious and deadly. I mean, apart from putting the birds inside, what else can be done to prevent the spread of bird flu? There's not a great deal we can do. There's no real available vaccine for avian influenza. In fact, it's actually still illegal to vaccinate for avian influenza in the UK. Arguably, what's needed is an effective vaccine that can be delivered that gives good multivalent protection across a range of strains. And I think long term, that's what we're probably going to have to look at, along with the possibility of not having as much free range production of eggs and maybe even indeed looking at alternative high welfare production systems that allow us to 
rear birds under the really good conditions that a lot of free-range farmers have been using without that risk of contact into wildlife. Now, either way, it's costly. A vaccine probably isn't going to come overnight, but there are obviously a number of research groups in the UK, Europe and the US who are looking towards producing vaccines for avian influenza. Paul, this current bird flu outbreak here is worrying enough, but a recent inquiry by the Public Accounts Committee found that the UK's main animal disease facility has deteriorated so much that we're vulnerable to a major animal disease outbreak. Can you tell us first about the work that's done at the Animal and Plant Health Agency? So Animal Plant Health Agency, or APHA, it's very important in disease surveillance Traditionally, the lab at Weybridge used to have a very strong research base. Now, there's still research being done there. But to be honest, this has fallen away greatly. The investment in in animal health has shrunk to virtually nothing. So they're doing a good job, the best job I think that they can for even influenza. But you would really worry if we had something around the scale of the 2001 foot and mouth outbreak, we would not really be in a good place to deal with it at the moment. And what are the potential consequences, like the the risks we're running of having our main animal disease facility in this state? I mean, we know from that report that the facility itself has these sort of resilience issues that it may not be able to competently fight another outbreak on top of the bird flu one we're already dealing with. What are the kind of consequences that problem gives us? Well, they're enormous. You know, any particular disease that comes in at the moment... So, for example, African swine fever, if that came into pig production in East Anglia, simply there's not enough people, there's not enough facility, there's just not enough to deal with things. If you look at it, we've had enough problems with what was then Public Health England dealing with COVID, and their level of funding is considerably higher than APHA's is. Farmers are already on the brink with costs. One of these outbreaks, if we don't have the things in place to deal with it, really could finish off one of the agricultural sectors in the UK, you know, finish the UK pork industry, which is, in terms of health and welfare of animals, much better than most competitors. And it would be a a real shame that we lose our high quality, high welfare animal production on skimping and saving and austerity all the time. You know, we're not in a position where we can deal with any real big outbreak of disease on top of the extant avian influenza. And I'm really concerned about that. You'd think in the wake of COVID-19, which is presumed to have jumped from animals to humans, that it'd be easy to argue the importance of adequately funding research into animal diseases. Well, you would think so. Um, There has been some money made available, particularly to deal with avian influenza, but... We don't know where the next zoonotic jump would be. Now, I think very few people would have predicted we have a pandemic of a coronavirus. You know, coronaviruses are ubiquitous across animal species. Avian coronavirus is one of the big problems in chicken production in terms of endemic disease. So the chance of 
something jumping across is always there. And we really do need that scanning surveillance looking to the horizon to deal with anything that may come up. You would have think we would have had a good lesson learned over, you know, what's been a horrible two to three years for most people in this country. And you know, do we really want this happening again and have that lack of preparedness? Well, it's all rather sobering. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. No problem. Thanks again to Professor Paul Wigley and also to Phoebe Weston. You can follow The Guardian's coverage of bird flu at theguardian.com. The Guardian is doing a great series of articles called The Age of Extinction, with reporting by Phoebe and others on our catastrophic species loss and ways to tackle the biodiversity crisis. You might like to check that out too. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Ned Carter-Miles. The sound design was by Tony Orochuku. And the executive producer was Georgia Moody. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.